Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The scripture today is from John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is God's word. There's an old adage that says, don't talk about religion, politics, or money. Perhaps that advice is more relevant today than usual. A breaking Cato Institute study showed that 62% of those surveyed say that today's political climate prevents them from speaking about things they believe. 77% of Republicans are inhibited to speak about things they believe. I'm sure that we'd find similar results from a survey about regarding the spiritual climate and religious climate today. Because, and especially for Christians, because Jesus makes such outrageous claims about himself that they're almost impossible to believe and they are very unpopular today. This has led many people to reinvent Jesus to be more palatable to our culture. Back in the mid-80s, a group of theologically liberal scholars formed a, a group called the, the Jesus Seminar. And they determined that they would 
be able to present the true Jesus, that they would be able to decipher the acts and words of Jesus that were authentic. And the result was that they concluded that 82% of the words that Jesus spoke were made up uh, by his followers. Only two words from the Lord's Prayer were supposedly authentic, our Father. This is because one of their founding criteria was any self-acclamations about Jesus were made up by his disciples. Why? Because they're so outrageous. They are so difficult to believe. These are people who like Jesus, and so they are reinventing, reworking what Jesus actually says about himself. Those who are not so... Uh, so friendly toward Jesus, draw other conclusions about his statements. Some of the thought leaders of the modern era, David Strauss, Lemuel Washburn, Friedrich Nietzsche, questioned Jesus' sanity. Psychotherapists and psychiatrists George Lomer, William Hirsch, V. Mintz, William Sargent, Anthony Storr, said that Jesus suffered from Religious delusions and paranoia. What should we think about Jesus? If you are not a Christian, I hope that this morning you are not intimidated away from considering the claims of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, I hope you would unabashedly proclaim the Jesus whom he says he is. Let's pray. Our Father, I cannot capture the power of Jesus' words, but your Spirit can. And so I pray, Lord, you'd speak the truth, ring home the reality of who Jesus is in our lives today and all of the implications of it so that we would have the courage to preach Christ and life in him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, early in the week, I asked my wife, Karen, the question, what do you think the three most outrageous claims of Jesus were? Her answer was, though in different words, the three claims that Jesus makes about himself in this passage. So this morning, we're going to look at those claims, then the testimony Jesus gives to support those claims, and then the response of people who actually believed. So Three points this morning, the outrageous claims of Jesus, the outrageous evidence Jesus offers, and the outrageous belief of some who heard those words. The, our passage begins with the word again. It says, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now I focus in on the word again because it doesn't connect to the previous 11 verses and you might notice that Travis and I have decided to not preach on the previous 11 verses. And if you look in most of your Bibles, you'll see a footnote attached to those verses that says those verses are questioned as to whether they are original scripture. 
It's a tremendous story about Jesus. We all love and we believe, and just about every scholar believes they are true. It's a true story about Jesus, but not necessarily Scripture because too many early and uh, early manuscripts leave it out or place it in different positions. Plus, this word, again, doesn't connect at all to those 11 verses. It perfectly connects to the previous chapter when Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacle and makes the proclamation first that he, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and I will quench his thirst. You see, there were two ceremonies at the Feast of Tabernacle. One was the ceremony of the water that we talked about last week. And in that point, when they stopped the ceremony of the water, Jesus proclaimed that he is that water that they look to for life. A second ceremony has to do with the celebration of lights. And I pick this up from one scholar. He says, The Feast of Tabernacles included a light show where people would dance with torches and would light the four towering menorahs around the temple. It was so spectacular that the Jewish people would say, He who hasn't seen the rejoicing at this festival has never seen rejoicing in his life. The historian Josephus recorded the event explaining that the lights from the temple menorahs were so bright they lit up all of Jerusalem. It's in this setting that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This statement is actually astounding because Jesus is saying is I and I alone have the perspective of life, the understanding of life, the pathway of life that is true and right. And if you don't walk in my pathway, if you don't walk in the light of my teaching, you are walking in darkness. This is an astounding claim and none of us would make that claim ourselves. And yet, most of us live as though we ourselves are the light to our own lives. And more and more in our culture, people are beginning to live as though not only are they the light of their own lives, but that they are the light of the world. The evidence of that is the growing cancel culture that we're living in right now. People are so convinced of their self-rightness and their self-righteousness, that belief has become so strong that a culture is developed that if you don't agree with me, you will be marginalized and damaged if you've crossed the line. We've come to the point where we are not only our own personal authority, but we are the authority for others. The same Cato Institute survey concluded that 50% of people who describe themselves as very liberal would fire an executive if that executive donated to the Trump campaign. 36% of those who said they are very conservative would fire an executive if they donated to the campaign of Joe Biden. 
It's across the board, this attitude is. And it is a reflection of the original sin. For when God placed humanity in the garden, he allowed them to eat of any tree except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that is because God is saying the knowledge of good and evil, the understanding of right and wrong, the foundation of morality belongs to me, the creator. And what did humanity, the first humans do? They went right for that tree and they said, I will be like God. I will determine for myself what is right and wrong, what is moral and immoral. You know, back in the late 20th century, many people had the attitude of the book, I'm okay, you're okay. And they said, I'm fine, I can make up my own understanding and you can make up your own understanding. I, I live by my own morality and you can live by your own morality. But what has happened today is that statement has become more and more, I'm okay and you're not unless you agree with me. And if you cross my line, you deserve to be punished and canceled. None of us is the light of the world. Jesus Christ claimed and is the light of the world. When we walk in his path, we will walk in the right way. When we accept his teaching, we will live life as it was meant to be. We as Christians need to be very careful that we don't confuse our personal positions, our personal politics with those of Jesus. Because when we do, we are saying, I'm the light of the world. None of us is the light of the world. Only Jesus is. The second claim is seen in verse 24. When he says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Can you imagine anyone saying those words today? If, if you don't believe in me, there's no hope for your salvation. You're going to die in your sin. But if you, if you believe in me, then all your sins will be forgiven. That too is an outrageous statement. It's one that the Jesus Seminar says is inauthentic. <clears throat> As one article states, some people think believing in Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved is arrogant, narrow-minded, and intolerant. Statements about exclusive belief in Jesus have been considered hate speech. See, pluralism rules the day. If we say all religions have ways to God, we will be acceptable. If we believe what Jesus said about himself, that he and he alone is the only way to God, well, that's unacceptable. Even though it's not popular, we need to proclaim it because Jesus is the only way. And we need to explain it. I spent a year after college in the Vista Volunteers. That's like the AmeriCorps of, of the old days. After serving about a year, I met with my supervisor. As we met, she asked if I would re-up for another year. Uh, 
I had actually gone into her office to ask if I could leave a month early because I wanted to go to some Bible training for six weeks. She said she, she understood, and then she added, I hope you become a minister and continue the kind of work you've been doing with us. I hope you don't become a missionary who t tries to convert people to Jesus. I said, well, I, I will. Whether I'm a minister or a missionary, I will talk about Jesus. I will try to convert people to Jesus. And then I asked her, you must think that it's narrow-minded when Christians say Jesus is the only way. And she said, yeah. Do you understand why we say Jesus is the only way? She said, no, I don't, I don't understand that. I said, because Jesus said it. And Jesus said it because he is the only one who has ever proclaimed that he would die for our sins. See, our sins separate us from God, and Jesus, Jesus is the only one who says, I will take those sins upon myself. I will pay for the penalty of those sins, the judgment of God on those sins, so they are taken out of the way. No one else has ever made that offer to us. That's why Jesus is the only way. She didn't accept Christ, but at least she understood why Jesus said what, what he said. That same verse gives the third outrageous claim of Jesus. We read it again. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. Unless you believe that I am he. The, the words I am he is translation of the Greek ego eimi. I am. And D.A. Carson cites six instances in the book of Isaiah where Yahweh God the one and only true God refers to himself as ego eimi in, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Carson concludes, for Jesus to apply these words to himself is tantamount to him calling himself God. It's no wonder that the, the crowd responds, who are you? Who, who are you saying you are? This is almost incomprehensible. Now, later in the chapter, we'll see that Jesus gets very clear about who he is when he says, before Abraham was, I am. And the people understand it then, and they pick up stones to kill him for blasphemy for saying that he is God. This is a very offensive statement, mainly to the Jewish people, who revered God so fully. They, they saw God as so transcendent that he wasn't even imminent, that he was so transcendent, so beyond us, that they could not say what we Christians say, say to God, Abba, Daddy, Father. They couldn't say that. In fact, when they read the Hebrew Old Testament and they came to the name of God, Yahweh, they wouldn't say the name of God. It was too sacred. And so they would substitute the word Adonai. It's interesting, even in our English translations, you never read the word Yahweh in the Old Testament. You read the translation of the word Adonai. You'll see Lord. And when Lord is all capital letters, L-O-R-D, that's a reference to the personal name of God, Yahweh. I am. 
Jesus makes that reference. Jesus would be much more palatable if he didn't say that. If he just said, I was a great prophet, I was the Messiah, I'm the fulfillment of the hopes of the Jewish people. Jesus would be much more palatable to the people we speak about if we said Jesus was a great prophet, he was a tremendous teacher, he was one of the, the great pantheon of religious leaders. But we cross the line when we declare Jesus is actually God. He is above every religious leader, above everyone. He is to be worshipped as the Father is worshipped himself. We can't downplay who Jesus is. Jesus' statements are so outrageous that they are challenged and they should be challenged by the religious leaders. They had to be protective of their people. And so we see in verse 13, uh, the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So Jesus now is going to give two evidences that the, her, his words are true. The first is his personal testimony. They challenge that. You're saying this about yourself? Well, we can't believe this. Just because someone doesn't believe what I say doesn't mean it's not true. Just because the Pharisees didn't believe Jesus' claims about himself doesn't mean they're not true. See, everyone has a right to represent himself or herself on the witness stand. We all have the right to give self-testimony. The question is, how credible is the witness? How credible am I as a witness? If I'm a known liar, you're not going to believe me and you need other evidence. But if I'm known as somebody who is trustworthy, who is honest, who will tell the truth, even if it costs him everything, you're more likely to believe me. And that's exactly who Jesus is. His integrity and honesty is unquestioned. Later in the chapter, Jesus will challenge the religious leaders and say, show me one of my sins. No response, because they couldn't point out one sin of Jesus. He was a man of integrity. His testimony should be believed, though it is outrageous. And so Jesus points to second line of evidence we see in verses 14 and 15. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness of myself, my testimony is true. Excuse me, we haven't moved on to the second piece of evidence. We're still on the first piece of evidence. Jesus says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I'm come from. You don't know where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. Uh, have you ever been in a position where you say something that's unbelievable? It's, it's, it's so big that the person you're talking to can't believe you. And so you say, no, it's true, it's true. And they say, no, it can't be true, it can't be true. And you say, no, it's true, I saw it, I was there. No, no, you couldn't have. No, I was there, I saw it. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, 
I know where I'm come from. I know where I'm going. I know who I am, but you don't. They say, no, we don't believe you. It's not true. And Jesus says, that's because you judge according to the flesh. You're judging from a human perspective so that you only believe what fits into what you want to believe. And that's the case for so many of us. We only believe what we want to believe, what's going to fit our lives the way we want it to fit. And Jesus challenges that. And he goes a step further and says in verse 23, You are from below. I am from above. You're of the world. I'm not of the world. See, the Pharisees had an earthly perspective. They didn't understand the machinations of heaven. This is all the more true of secularism today. They don't understand the machinations of heaven. One author's words capture this. Modern public culture, the majority of the intellectual ruling elite, have a total disbelief in the supernatural, in miracles. They will deploy all possible resources to argue down any possible miracle, especially, of course, the miracles of Christ, from the basis that miracles are impossible. All phenomena have scientific explanations, and therefore, any naturalistic explanation is definitely more plausible than a miracle. So they appeal to science. And scientific methods are very valuable for measuring earthly things. They cannot measure heavenly things. We are from the earth. Jesus is from above. We measure by what our senses can understand. There is a supernatural dimension which we cannot measure and we cannot understand. And Jesus has brought that in and broken into our world with it. And so at this point, he, he appeals to the testimony of his father. Verses 17 and 18. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. The Father who sent me bears witness about me. So there's two witnesses, me and the Father. Now, where does the Father give the clearest testimony that Jesus is who he says he is? If you ask me, I would point to Jesus' baptism or the Mount of Transfiguration where the Father's voice is heard. And Jesus says very clearly, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But Jesus doesn't appeal to those words of the Father. He appeals to the cross. He's saying the testimony of the cross is the ultimate proof of the Father's hand. Notice verses 28 and 29. Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing of my own authority. I, I follow the Lord. You see, 
when he is lifted up, and the word lifted up, it really has a double meaning. It means to glorify. When I am glorified, the second meaning is when I am lifted up off the ground onto the cross. Because Jesus and the Father are perfectly glorified in that moment when Christ is crucified. And that's the one, that's the moment in time that Jesus says is the ultimate testimony of the Father to me. The people surrounding the cross would say, no, no, it's the opposite. That shows that you weren't from the Father. And that's what they said when they were at the foot of the cross. He said, they cried, if you're really who you say you are, if you're the Son of Man, come down from the cross. Show your power. Or he saved others, he can't save himself. In fact, they understood that if he was Messiah, then God would rescue him. But God is silent. God instead leaves him and forsakes him. And so it appears as though the cross is the testimony that Jesus is not from the Father. Jesus says, no, it's the testimony that I am from the Father. Why? Because all of history comes together on the cross. History does not make sense, does not hold together. Declaring a loving God apart from the cross. You see, God created us to have a relationship with him, to have intimacy with him, to enjoy him as he enjoys us. He created us and placed us in, in, a, in a perfect world. But when we sinned against him, we broke that world, we broke our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with one another, and the world became what it is today where all of us say this is not the way it should be. We know that. And so we, we challenge God and say uh, if there really was a God there wouldn't be so much suffering and evil. And the real answer, part of that answer we need to speak it very sensitively is no, the reason the world is the way it is is because of our evil. But God's so heartbroken about that that he had a plan to restore us. And the only way he could restore us is to satisfy his justice because he is a just God. We cry out in the streets for justice today. Very seldom do we want our own personal justice from God. But God is just. He is what we have been crying out for justice. And so he has to look at our sin and stay separated unless that sin is paid for. And so he sends his son to pay for that sin so that he can forgive our sins, make us new, and eventually make the world new. See, apart from the cross, life doesn't make sense. It doesn't resonate with the way things should be. God puts it all together on the cross. It is the testimony that the Father is saying, this is my Son. He is the light of the world. He is the only way of salvation. He is God. Because if he was merely man, he could only die for one more person. But because he is God, he is infinite, and that's why he could die for every one of us. 
There's another reason the cross is, is so central and makes sense of life, and that is it addresses the four greatest absolutes in life. And I take this from Ravi Zacharias. Ravi was asked to speak at a UN prayer breakfast, and the topic was navigating the absolutes in a relativistic world. And they gave him 25 minutes to speak, and they said, uh, only you can't bring religion into it. And he said, well, uh, how about if we make a deal? I'll speak the first 25 minutes on, on these topics, on this topic, navigating absolutes in a relativistic world, and then allow me to sh take the last five minutes to show why I think what I am representing is really the only answer to this struggle. And they said, okay, we'll let you do that. And so he spoke about four absolutes, evil, justice, love, and forgiveness. And he talked about uh, how do you define evil? How do you define justice? What is true love? And when you blow it, how can you be forgiven? After talking about that, he then asked, do you know one event in the world where these four converged? And they said, no, no, we don't. He said they converged at the cross. Evil was seen for what it was. Justice was met out by a holy, righteous God. Love was displayed in a way unparalleled. And forgiveness, he is willing to wipe away your state your sin, and forgive you. Afterwards, an ambassador came to him and said, you know, I come from an atheistic country. I don't want to come here. We don't believe in God. I don't even know why I'm here. This morning, I discovered why I am here. Will you pray for me? We don't know what happened when he went home. But we do see the power even of a committed atheist, the power of the testimony of the cross, of God declaring, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. What's the response of the people? Well, we see an incredible response of so many of them. In verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Isn't that astonishing? I'm the light of the world. I and I alone am the one who takes care of your sins. I am God, and yet multitudes believe him. Why? First, they had seen his miracles. We saw it uh, earlier in the chapter. They asked the question, when Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? And what they're saying is, this... Jesus has done so many signs to prove who he is. We can't expect anything more. The signs, the miracles he did. Now we say today, no, 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 there are no such things as miracles. Therefore, Jesus couldn't have done the miracles. And these eyewitnesses would say, no, 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 it's true. He did these miracles. And we would say, no, 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 he couldn't have done those miracles. It's impossible. And these eyewitnesses would say, no, no, I was there. I saw the miracles. And we say, no, 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 you couldn't. You can't believe your eyes. And they said, 
you live 2,000 years from this event and you say it couldn't happen, I was there living it and I declare it happened. He did so many miracles, we couldn't ask for any more. Even the religious leaders of the day never said Jesus didn't perform miracles. They knew Jesus performed miracles. Their response was, these supernatural things you're doing, they're not from God, they must be from the devil. And after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, they don't say, oh, Lazarus wasn't dead. They say, Jesus must die and Lazarus must die again. So this time he's, he doesn't get out of the tomb. They believed because they were there and they were eyewitnesses. And we see also they believed because they heard Jesus speak. They were there. He spoke with an authority like none others. Remember the religious leaders sent out the officers to arrest Jesus. They came back empty-handed and uh, the religious leaders were scorning them and they responded, but we couldn't arrest him. No man ever spoke with the authority that this man spoke. They were there. They heard the authority. They heard a man put together life and an understanding of life and a hope like they had never heard before, one that resonated with them. And Jesus speaks those same words to us today. He is who he said he is. If someone came from heaven and said, I'm the light of the world, I'm the only way to God, and I am God, we'd expect that... Uh, a lot of people wouldn't believe him. But we'd expect an outrageous impact upon the world. We'd expect that he would perform incredible, multiple miracles. That it'd be impossible to kill him, but if, but if he let you do that, you wouldn't be able to keep him in the grave that he would transform life after life. He would transform cultures. That many would consider him the greatest man who ever lived. That hundreds of millions of people would believe him. That perhaps we'd even revolve our calendar around the date of his birth. And that nothing could stop generation after generation after generation from worshiping him and that he would have a greater impact on our world than any other person ever born. And that's exactly what we see in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. These outrageous claims are true. Let's not keep them to ourselves. Our Father, may your spirit drive home the reality of who Jesus is. We talk about him every week and our, we can become cauterized to how outrageous his claims are, how incredible he is. Lord, renew our understanding today in each of our hearts 
may it transform our lives and may it give us the courage as we look out in the world who needs these words of Jesus so desperately. A world that needs a true light, not the cacophony of voices that are around us. That we need a true way of forgiveness because we can't cut it. Religion doesn't save us. We are in our sin apart from someone like Jesus paying for them. We'd have to pay them ourselves. And that we have an understanding of what God would live like if he came to earth. What we should live like because we're made in his image. Our Lord, bring Christ deep into our hearts and may come out strongly through our voices. Amen.